Jesse Hernandez is with us. What's up, Jesse? He's asking, did Felipe discover lean or scrum first? That's a great question, Jesse. And I discovered lean first. And I, I talk about this in my book in section three. And when I first discovered lean, I had some massive gains in my productivity and throughput. But I got, like, stuck. I, I was almost two times more effective. And then that, that was, like, for two or three years. I was still learning, reading books all the time, learning, skilling up, leveling up. But when I discovered Scrum, then I went exponential. I went from like, I had a 3x gain, a 6x gain, an 8x gain. Scrum just totally changed my whole life. And that allowed me to do all the things that I do now. You know, work full time, uh, have multiple companies, publish a book, uh, run a podcast, you know, be on your podcast. All those things are happening mm -hmm. with no stress. I still get eight, sometimes nine hours of sleep a night. So I'm not uh, burning the candle at both ends and I'm having a lot of fun doing it. Hey, what's going on everyone? Welcome to the CM Mentors Podcast. My name is Matt Graves and my co-host every week is Kyle Grandel. And this week Kyle's, uh, he's trapped in Snowmageddon up in Minneapolis. So he may not be talking too much. He got trapped in a Starbucks. It's quite loud. Um, <laughs> this, <Hey everybody>. week's, <laughs> this week's guest literally wrote the book on construction scrum. Felipe Engineer Manriquez. What's up, Felipe? What's up, Matt? I've got my product placement already ready, Kyle. Look at that. And Matt, always <laughs> ready on, on this. Uh... <laughs> it's good to see you all both again. Thank you for having me on the show. Welcome, Felipe. Hey, for the folks who don't know who you are, you want to give a short bio? I'm sure you could go on and do a whole podcast on your bio, but you just want to give us like a, a two or three sentence bio? Yeah, let's see, two or three sentences. I work in the construction industry. I'm super addicted to better ways of working. And I, the host of the easier, better for construction podcast, the EBFC show, E B F C. <laughs> and I work for the bolt company is we're a general contractor working ocean to ocean here in the United States of America. And I love working with construction people just like yourselves. Couldn't have done better myself. So I actually, Somebody told me the other day, I, I met somebody, he was a civil engineer, and he had engineer in his name, like you do. Can you explain for, that's kind of a cultural thing. Can you explain to people what that is, that people might not understand what that is? Oh, yeah, I totally forgot about my name. Yeah, my last name is actually, my full last name is Engineer Manriquez, E-N-G-I-N-E-E-R hyphen M-E-N-R-I-Q-E-Z. Yeah, and when you get practice like I do, just spell it, and write it on forms, you get better at it, so... The, the short of it is that my last name has something to do with my father, like so many of us in our last names. But when I got married, I changed my last name to be uh, hyphenated. So it goes back to to that time. I was already an electrical engineer by the time I, I picked this name up. So that happened. I was an engineer first and then became a real engineer <laughs> after. Oh, it wasn't. Okay. my The guy I was talking to is kind of a friend of mine now, but he was saying it's almost like saying doctor. He put so he does like ENG his last name because it was almost like saying it was like a yeah. cultural thing. He's from Mexico, so I think yeah, that's, that's a different. Uh, that's a different type of engineer altogether. I mean, could be like he's civil, electrical. Yeah, yeah there, there are definitely. I have more acronyms after my name, but I just don't post them all because it's obnoxious. Like the last <laughs> name is eighteen characters, uh, but I'll answer to Felipe and even Philippe. I'll answer Felipe. to that as well. Perfect. So I actually wore my A&M rugby cap today because up until a couple of years ago, I thought Scrum was literally just a rugby thing. Um, what is Scrum? Can you tell us what Scrum is? 
Absolutely, yeah. Scrum, it definitely borrows its name from the game. Right. And for all the Americans listening that don't know what rugby is, like I, I didn't know what it was either until I learned the management framework first, and then I learned about <laughs> the sports after, like so many Americans. I actually have a blog post at the ebfcshow.com uh, forward slash blog that will tell you the analogy between rugby, football, and scrum, but particularly focused on scrum, the management framework. Mm-hmm. So everyone knows what scaffolding is in building construction, and that's exactly what this management framework is like. It's like scaffolding. You put it up, you use it to access the work, and then you modify it as you need to because every building is a unique snowflake, and they're all different, but the conditions to make them are similar. So it's a way for people to organize. It's got just a handful of rules, very few, but the results are tremendous. It helps you with complexity, improving communication, which we all want more of. We want better communication, more effective communication. And it lets people get twice the work done in half the time. And that's if you just barely do it right. Most often people get three times the work or more. And in my book, Construction Scrum, I've got some case study examples, as I do on the the podcast website as well, for some teams that have 9X'd their throughput. I myself have 5X'd my throughput several times. That's insane. So, Felipe, how does this relate to like lean construction and class planner system and some of those different techniques that are I love that question, Kyle. So Kyle, he's asking with the beautiful Starbucks music in the background, which we <laughs> super appreciate when we're grabbing those lattes. I get that question so often, Kyle, that I made it a dedicated chapter in the end of the book. Yeah, there's a little product placement for free. Uh, you're welcome, Starbucks. I think Matt is looking for some sponsorship opportunities. So if you're if you're listening or watching baristas, hit them up with the right contact to get that taken care of. But uh, go back to the back to Kyle's question. Scrum's foundation is actually in lean. So Dr. Jeff Sutherland and Ken Schwaber, the two co-creators of Scrum, Sutherland got his uh, undergrad at West Point. He's a West Point cadet, and then he was a fighter pilot. So he learned about the PDCA process, the plan, do, check, adjust process. That so many lean people know what that is. We almost take it for granted. But it's the way that we can be scientists in the work that we do so that we can make things better. And last planner system, by design, is a system to limit work in progress so that we can have better flow. And Scrum and Last Planner are aligned in both limiting work in progress. In construction sites, as all of your listeners know, there's a lot of stuff going on all the time. And sometimes the way that contracts are written, we're incentivized to put more work in place because that's how we get paid. We get paid for work in place. However, if we limit that work in place and we get strategic, set some priorities, set some targets, we get more flow, you can actually increase the throughput on your site. You can build faster with less people simultaneously working if you follow some strategic thinking and prioritization, which Scrum and Less Planner are both aligned on. If you take the uh, the system and you look at the flow diagram, all my nerds know what I'm talking about, this flow diagram, and you overlay Last Planner's five connected conversations with the Scrum framework, they match one-to-one. They're almost exactly identical. Now, they both came into existence in the 1980s, 1990s. They were published, but they had been being worked on for decades before, each of them. And they came out in the same decade. It was the incredible 1990s. Like, magic was happening, and now they're starting to spread around the country. So I actually have a video, uh, my first live stream at the EBFC show. I show 
a regular schedule. Everybody recognizes the waterfall schedule with the red bar, the critical path. I show a pull plan taking those schedule activities, and then I show a scrum board, and, and I do the same with that schedule in three different ways so that people can see the connections and how they can work together. And now I use, I use Scrum as my container to hold my last planner implementation so that every time I do last planner with teams, I'm following a prioritized system that works at a very high level. And check this out, Matt. Have you ever heard of TACT? T-A-K-T. Kyle's heard of TACT. Have you heard of TACT, Matt? I've seen it on LinkedIn. I don't know what the hell it means. He's only seen it on LinkedIn. So TACT is a way to to organize your flow through your project like a train running on tracks. So it minimizes variation variability, creates a very stable workplace. You can improve your schedules by sometimes more than 80%. So that's way faster than twice the work and half the time when you Sounds use like black magic. tech. It is, it is magical. It is super magic. And so the only reason I'm bringing this up is because I use tact in my last plan implementation as well. It's the sixth conversation where you level you level the crew flow, the crews, so that you're kind of working to the slowest company or crew, which every superintendent listening right now is like, why would I slow down to the slowest person? Those are the people I have to yell at the most. Well, let's stop yelling. We don't have to yell anymore. Now we can plan a little bit differently and get much higher flow and throughput rates on our sites. And anyway, so I used Scrum in a video recently. It's not published yet by the time your audience is watching the show. But a Scrum master a buddy of mine, Matt, that I trained coincidentally, also named Matt. Not this one. Not this Matt. But we went through a TACT implementation using a Scrum board and built a TACT plan that he's deploying as we speak this week on a residential construction project. So is the, the scrum board, is that, I mean, I've seen Kanban boards, I guess it's called, where you've got yep. like, what do they call it, planning, to do, or it's kind of holding, planning, or, I'm sorry, maybe walk us through it, to do, doing, and then done. Is that kind of the... Yeah, it's like, I feel like you've been reading my LinkedIn posts recently. I've put uh, some really basic scrum boards up, and it borrows definitely from Kanban. Kanban is the Japanese word for all the non-Japanese English speakers that Matt's talking to. It literally just means signboard or recipe. So you think about it as a signboard, and it's designed to limit work in progress, again, because we know that that's what allows more flow. If we jam onto the expressway and we're all going through a one-lane on-ramp, we can only get a car on at a time. And at certain times of the day, the expressway gets jammed up. But if we if we slow everybody down and let people get on the cruising speed, then we merge in like a zipper connecting, you know, two pieces of cloth together. So that's what those uh, Kanban boards do or scrum boards. And you're totally right. The names for the columns are, can be different, but the yes. super basic, super typical is something that shows what's on deck to do like a to-do list of what we're going to do, what we're doing now, work in progress, and then what's done or completed. And then you can add more columns left or right as you need to. Definitely in construction, we see a lot. And uh, I've got lots of implementations. People take pictures and send me their scrum boards to show, like a typical scrum board will also include a column on the far left for backlog. So backlog, just like construction backlogs, work that I've won, but I'm not currently working on today. It's in my backlog. It's work that needs to be done in the future. So like you think of your whole project, every activity on your job, could be starting in your backlog. And then every single week as you put work in place, 
you're you're burning off that backlog one week at a time over the course of months, weeks, or years. Hey, so remind everybody in the live audience, feel free to ask your questions as we go along in the chat box. And in the second half, we'll have a uh, kind of a call-in Q&A for anybody who wants to. So we got a first question. Mondo 2.0 says, <laughs> how does Scrum differ from a glorified to-do list? Oh, it's like, well, first of all, Mondo, <laughs> thank you for the question. We super appreciate you bring in the questions. And I know that uh, Mondo's actually run my book, Construction Scrum, so no shame plugging. The first time I met him, we were sitting at a bar, at a, at a lean bar, at a lean event, listening to construction industry news. A lean and bar. All right. A lean bar. Yeah, it's a, it was a bar in Texas. <laughs> and uh, he's like, I read your book. And I was like, oh, really? So let's see how well. We, we say in lean, Matt, if the student hasn't learned, the teacher hasn't taught. <laughs> so Bondo 2.0 should know that in a to-do list, when people write it down, and I'm not against writing down things that you need to do on a to-do list. Mm-hmm. However, if you write it on a sheet of paper or even an Excel spreadsheet, it's not easy to move stuff up and down. And on a scrum board, when you use post-it notes, digital or analog, you can quickly move things as you learn something and change priorities and shift them up and down. That way you can see visually, like, what am I going to do first? That's I put it at the top. What am I doing second, third, and so on? Uh, the to-do list is people at best can scratch it off. And, you know, back back in the day, Franklin Covey used to teach these uh, time management skills. And that's one of the things they would teach people, like how to manage a to-do list with some couple of rules. And people would cross off things. And I know people in construction, Matt, that write in notebooks, and they'll just write down whatever comes at them as it comes. Mm-hmm. And I've seen people turn six, seven, 25 pages left and right and try to figure out and hold in their head all these things they have to do. If they just would have it on a simple sticky note list, they can move things from left to right, achieve one piece flow, and knock things off one at a time. You run your stuff. Go ahead, you, man. You run all your stuff with actual sticky notes, or do you do some sort of virtual like scrum board? I do a combination of both. Like just off camera, I've got a a to do doing done simple, like one day week, or it's actually my weekend scrum board. Mm-hmm. But then for work, I use a, a digital solution called Trello, T R E L L O, and in Trello, I can set up multiple boards, multiple teams. And in fact, the Lean Construction Institute planning team this year is going to be in Detroit in October. Shout out to all my LCI partners, brothers and sisters, cousins, <laughs> nephews, and uh, daughters and sons. We're using Trello to organize about 25 people that are at almost 25 different companies. And we're all organized in the same place. And we can filter with a tap or, or a click. You can see just your activities versus the whole company or you can see or all the companies. And so that makes it super easy for report outs. Like our check-in with these, I think we have 10. I think we have actually 11 different uh, committees that are putting this conference on. And the report out is less than 15 minutes once we're in that uh, that board. So you can hear 11 different teams telling us exactly where they are, where they need help, what's going on, what's on deck, what's like further into the future. And the cool thing is that we've been helping some people, because there's some people, Matt and Kyle, that they want to still do a lot of things at the same time. Mm-hmm. But through some light scrum coaching, we show them that you don't actually, you're not actually doing three teams, three things simultaneously. You only can do at best one thing at a time if you want to do it well. I mean, you can half-ass things like left and right all day long, 
but you want to get, I always tell people, get both cheeks in, go all the way <laughs> and just do it really well. Get one thing done at a time. You'll be way faster. And if you don't believe me, run the experiment yourself. Try to multitask. See how long something takes you versus just focusing and getting it done, mm-hmm. knocking it out. Yeah, I've never, I mean, I read about Scrum a couple of years ago and I kind of very loosely implemented. I have a Notion uh, account. And so you can make boards on there. And I've like, mm-hmm. especially with like my newsletter and that sort of stuff, I'll have a whole bunch of just ideas dumped in the first column that needs to be researched. And then I'll bump it over once I've done a little bit of research. And so it kind of has a flow pattern to it. There you but go. I'm, That's, I'm probably, yeah, you're on the path. Probably not very uh, efficient with it, but it's just kind of a place, at least where I can visually organize. And I like how you can, in Notion, it's kind of the same thing where you can drag and drop. And I, after I can type in, I can move it over to the next category and stuff. So it's been pretty cool. Yeah, it's not bad. It's a good thing to have. Jesse Hernandez is with us. What's up, Jesse? Uh, he's asking, did Felipe discover Lean or Scrum first? That's a great question, Jesse. And I discovered Lean first. And I, I talk about this in my book in Section 3. And when I first discovered Lean, I had some massive gains in my productivity and throughput, but I got, like, stuck. I, I was almost two times more effective, and then that that was, like, for two or three years. I was still learning, reading books all the time, learning, skilling up, leveling up. But when I discovered Scrum, then I went exponential. I went from, like, I had a 3x gain, a 6x gain, an 8x gain. Scrum just totally changed my whole life, and that allowed me to do all the things that I do now, you know, work full time, uh, have multiple companies, publish a book, uh, run a podcast, you know, be on your podcast. All those things are happening Mm -hmm. with no stress. I still get eight, sometimes nine hours of sleep a night. So I'm not uh, burning the candle at both ends and I'm having a lot of fun doing it. So for me, it's lean. And then scrum is the foundation of scrum is lean and lean principles. And then it just adds in a couple other rules. It brings in some more systems thinking in a very prescriptive way. But it's only, again, like a handful of things to do. There's a couple meetings you want to have, and there's some feedback stuff that's built back in that's built on top of that plan, do, check, adjust framework that we talked about. Or as some people in the military know from John Boyd, the OODA loop, which stands for observe, orient, decide, and act. And it takes more time to explain it than actually to experience it and just do it. Do you run your, I mean, I say, do you run your family? Do you like, does your family embrace it? Like, do you run your family organization kind of? Oh, I definitely run my family. I mean, I think I run my family. They think they run me. So the secretly. Do you encourage them to run (laughs) it with the scrum? (laughs) Yeah. My son, when I first started uh, learning scrum, he was my first guinea pig. I read Dr. Jeff Sutherland's book, The Art of Doing Twice the Work in Half the Time. Uh, We call it lovingly the scrum, the red book. And after that, at the, it's at the end of the book and the appendix. It actually tells you like 11 steps to take to start using Scrum right now. So I did it with my son. He was probably, you know, less than five years old. And then as I always tested things with him, it worked. So spoiler alert, it, it freaking worked. And I took <laughs> it to my construction site the following week and I started using it. And what it did for me as a project manager, it allowed me to spend less time behind my computer spend more time on the job site and actually helping people on the job site with flow and issues and, and changes. And I even talked about if you're on a hard bid job, just imagine this, all the people on a traditional design bid build job, I was submitting five change orders per day. They were assigned, approved and billable the same month. 
the same month on a hard bit job. So I tell people, like, be careful when that happens. People are going to start buying you lunch, giving you free hockey game tickets, all kinds of stuff. And you got to just be weary of, like, the ethical things that you have to do as you're accepting all these gifts and, and gratitude and thanks from people because it was the most money the trades had ever made on that type of project delivery, which is a hard bit traditional project. The project finished a month ahead of schedule with zero claims. And the construction manager said, this is the first job we've ever done in 12 years on this campus that were not involving lawyers at the end of the project. First time ever. And they're like, what's the difference? And the difference was scrum and lean, lean construction in particular. And like during the time, Matt, I didn't even have full buy-in from the team to use it. I just used it no matter what. And so like in my family, I run scrum everything. Mm-hmm. Everything runs on the scrum. Like it's not always perfect, but it allows me to ask better questions and get people engaged. So my son uses it for school for more now for projects than for for the day-to-day because his school is pretty lean. It has a like a dashboard and he just has to execute against an already prioritized work list. But when he has some off odd end odds oddball project work where he's got to work with the team of other kids, he usually applies uh, Scrum and acts as the Scrum master with his classmates. That's crazy. Building a leader. He, right he there. never tells him. He never tells him what it is in the moment because only if they ask, like, "How did you learn to organize like this?" Then he tells them like what it is. And I'm the same way in the work too. Yeah. But people that know me know that I don't shut up about Scrum. It's what I talk <laughs> about like every single day. <laughs> Jesse has another question. He says, how does Felipe feel about measuring PPC or velocity on the scrum boards? I'm not familiar with PPC, but I'm sure so you do. So PPC is a, it's a last planner metric for plan percent complete. Okay. So just imagine if on your schedule, if you looked at all your schedule activities in a five-day look ahead and you just counted how many activities do we have, let's just imagine we have 10 for easy math. So if I have 10 activities and I plan, I'm planning to do 10 things, if my team achieves all 10, I have 10 actual things completed divided by 10 things planned. And that's one times a hundred is hundred percent. So I achieved everything. If I only did eight out of 10, I'd be 80%. If I did half, I'd be 50%. So that's what PPC is. It's a measure of actual work divided by planned work. And it gives the team a metric, like how reliable are we promising? In scrum, we use a different metric called velocity Mm -hmm. and velocity just measures how fast the team is getting the value increments complete per sprint. And then, so like I said, in PPC, we had a one week look ahead, which most construction project teams use a four to six and sometimes an eight week look ahead is very mm-hmm. common. Uh, the most common I'm seeing now with teams is a four week look ahead, looking ahead of one month at a time. And Scrum, you can have a sprint that's four weeks long, but we more common see sprints that are five days long. As we know, if we reduce the batch size, the team's throughput and speed actually increases. So there's a little hint for everybody listening. If you want to speed your project up, bite sizes are faster than big giant chunks. It's easier to swallow smaller pieces of food than trying to swallow big pieces of food. And the same is true for construction projects. And so velocity is a measure that really is for the scrum master and the product owner. It's not for the rest of the team. I mean, they care because they create the velocity. It's the speed. How many points are they achieving for every sprint? And you only total it up and aggregate at the end. So you can see, is the team getting faster? Their velocity is increasing. They're, they're speeding up. Are they stable? Their velocity is the same. They're getting the same amount of throughput of work tasks every single 
sprint or are they slowing down? Something's happening. Something's changing. You know, the product owner probably can't say no. And that really jams up people's ability to, to get work done as planned. So I say you can measure it as a scrum master. I measure it no matter what I'm always checking PPC or velocity, whether the team reports it or not, but it's not to beat the team up or to say like, you know, Matt, your velocity last week was 12, and this week you're 10. Matt, you suck. Kyle, your velocity is 20. You're twice as much as Matt. Kyle, you're a stud. No, it's, you don't measure it individually with people. It's only it's a team metric for the whole team. Well, he's stuck in Starbucks. Of course he's going to be twice as good as me. <laughs> yeah, he's on double-shot macchiatos. <laughs> what's, your, what, what's your cup right there, Matt? What are you drinking, Matt? Is that just black coffee or? It's the crema macchiato. Oh, I guess right with the macchiato. <laughs> <laughs> so aside from obviously reading your book, what's the fastest way someone can get started? The fastest way to get started is actually the easiest to, way, maybe. To, to actually read a little bit or listen. I've got the audio book. I've given away the chapter nine, which tells you I read the scrum guide. So the scrum guide has there's actual guide people. It tells you how to do this stuff. It's not like Felipe made it up. <laughs> so Jeff and Ken put together this guide. They update it every couple of years. So the 2020 guide is the last update. And I, I read that. I narrate it with this sultry, velvety voice. And then I'm giving <laughs> construction commentary. So I'm translating some of the things that are domain specific into construction everyday language. So, you know, like what is, you know, how does this look for a project manager? What is this like for someone managing trades? What does this look like for a contractor? What is this for an architect? So I'm doing all that. That's 50 something ish minutes of your life where you can get a richer, deeper understanding of what scrum is and what scrum isn't. And then you can watch my YouTube channel where I've got videos to show you how to get started with scrum in three steps. I've got uh, the blog that I've got some articles that are start doing scrum in five steps. And then I've got some that go back to the original learning and training from Jeff. You can start it off in 11 steps. So depending on your learning capability, do you like to listen and do? Do you like to read and experiment? I've got something for both. And if you want to become a Scrum Master like myself, I have a two-day Scrum Master course. And I actually have a, a course coming up where you can learn with your peers March 30th and 31st via Zoom. And it's California-friendly time, Kyle, so it's going to be starting a little bit later in the day when you're done getting your coffee. <laughs> and in March, there shouldn't be any snow in uh, Minnesota. But I've, I've been in Minnesota in the middle of April, Kyle, when it had 16 inches of snow fall overnight. So I know what it's like to get stuck in Minnesota with some snow firsthand. We have 15 coming the next couple of days, so it's going to yeah. be fun. I, I know what that looks like. <laughs> and I was actually in Minnesota, Minneapolis in particular, some years ago for the annual Scrum Gathering, where people from all over the world converged on Minneapolis to talk about how they're using Scrum in many different industries outside of software and hardware. So, I forget. Sorry, I have a question here. Today. So, um, back to Jesse's question about uh, discovering lean first into the Scrum. That's a great question, Kyle. So, you know, learning lean first taught me about bringing the customer into everything I was doing. So 
you can work your whole career in construction and just be thinking about what your boss needs. And when I started learning about lean, I started realizing, oh, somebody's going to use this building, right? My boss is going to come and go. Who cares? But there's going to be people using the school, this hospital, this wastewater treatment plant, whatever building you're in. And so by thinking about how they're going to use it, it changed, like, what work was valuable and what work was not valuable. So that ga- that gave me a lot of capacity to not waste my time because nobody likes to have their time wasted. And when I got into Scrum, what Scrum did was, like, it like made it way more tactical. And it, and it brought that learning cycle down. So a lot of people listening that work in construction will often do a post-mortem at the end of a job, mm-hmm. and they'll talk about lessons learned. And I'm putting, like, air quotes, lessons learned. So a post-mortem, the very words mean that doctors and nurses come together around an operating table <laughs> where they've killed the patient. The patient has died, and they don't want to recreate those things again. They want to learn from that death of what happened. And I don't like to think about a project as something that's dead. I like to think of it like at the end of the job, it comes to life. And so that post-mortem lessons learned doesn't work. That's too big of a batch. It's too much time waiting. And then the team disperses. Now with Scrum, you're having these shorter feedback loops all the time. And every day, if you're doing a daily Scrum, it's just like a daily huddle or a daily stand-up meeting. You can hear from people doing the work like, what challenges do they have? What are they working on? Where do people need help? And you can make adaptations on the fly quickly. You're still targeting, you know, something out into the horizon. It's five days into the future, two two weeks into the future, or thereabouts. And so I think it's a much better way to track and get better habits and getting feedback much faster. And that's what really broke loose for me and allowed me to have those exponential improvements that I otherwise would not have. And, and people will notice, Kyle, and they'll reinforce, like, something's different. I got promoted as a Scrum Master. Once I, I learned Scrum started using it, I got, I got promoted to a project manager. Uh, that happened, and I credit Scrum for that. My, my boss at the time didn't even know that I was doing Scrum until much later when I explained it. And so they're going to have, like, these good benefits for you, and then you have more capacity. I started doing something really weird at work. I started reading at work, on the job. And I know people watching this podcast are like, nobody is like reading books on construction project (laughs) sites, typically, right? And you guys are laughing because you know you're not reading books at work. (laughs) Kyle, are you reading books at work or are you handling client issues, you know? Uh, It depends on how busy I am. (laughs) And if you're a reference So that's one of the differentiators. Yeah, a reference book is one thing, but I'm talking about like reading for for learning to experiment with something. I was able to start doing that only after implementing Scrum because I had the time. Because mm-hmm. I would get my all my duties done. I'd go mess with the superintendent for like two or three hours in the field, which he loved. He oh, loved man. that I had all that time for him in the field. <laughs> and then I'd come back into the office and you know check, get caught up on emails or attend some key meetings, and then be able to increase my learning and learn more things. We're going to do a call-in in a little bit. If anybody has any questions to call in and harass uh, Felipe, I forgot today's his birthday. So call him in and at least say happy birthday or harass him, one of the two. Yeah, thank you, Kyle. Thank you, Matt. I, I had uh, one team this morning on Teams actually sing me happy birthday. It was really nice. It's been a, it's been a really good day. My family was the first. I think uh, I had people, actually I had some people in Australia hit me up yesterday because it was already Monday yesterday mm-hmm. for us here in the United States. 
I get I got some friends in Australia, New Zealand from my rugby days, and same thing. I'll be going to bed and I'll start getting the, the Facebook messages. Happy birthday! And I'm like, oh hey, cool. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'll, I'll spare you my singing, so maybe some call in. Okay, maybe Mondo will sing for you or something. You have to sing to me later, man, just to make it up for me. <laughs> I don't have the mic, the, the sultry voice. It's all good. You can you can voicemail. You can call my cell and leave me the voicemail <laughs> message, and then I'll I'll put it on to my podcast and say, "Here's Matt singing me Happy Birthday." <laughs> we'll do. I'll do that. Um, so, you know, like you were just saying, it's kind of a as you kind of got started um, into it, right? No one really kind of knew what you were doing. You kind of just took and started running with it, and you sort of got promoted and that sort of stuff. So, if there's somebody out there, you know, this podcast is really kind of targeted towards kind of the entry to middle level uh kind of construction managers maybe if somebody's trying to figure out the industry and figure out the best way to kind of manage their glorified to-do list what are some tips you have for somebody that's like really maybe you know some real actionable steps of somebody that's maybe not in a culture that embraces lean or embraces scrum or you know maybe where everyone's hairs on fire type in culture because there's a yeah. million of those companies out there what are some actionable steps you have for somebody wanting to start this kind of in their career maybe kind of within their company yeah, the first thing is make some space to reflect on how things are going. So you'd be surprised how many project teams never understand, are we financially okay? Are we on schedule? So I'm just going to pick those two metrics because that's a universal across all construction projects. So if you're listening to the show, pause it or think about this on your drive home or when you're getting your coffee or you're waiting in line at Starbucks, whatever it is. Just think, like, is my schedule, is my project, is it on time right now? How do I know it's on time? Like, how are my billings? Are mm-hmm. we caught up on change orders? So I want you to think about just time and money. Well, I think, too, is like, what does on time even, I think, too, like, what does on time even mean? Like, right, what yes, does on time even mean? <laughs> right, exactly. If you've got a schedule, I just, I just heard a stat, Matt, recently that a lot of construction uh, sites don't even have schedules. And it's just like, to me, it just can't, I can't even fathom not having a schedule. But I heard that last week. And they, as, as a person who makes a living helping teams get schedules, that they literally just go to sites all over the United States that have zero schedules. Mm-hmm. And I, I can't believe, I can't believe that, but I have to believe it because they said it and that's how they make their living. I've so, seen it. I've seen it yeah. lots of times. Or so they'll have a schedule to make the owner happy, and you're looking at it, and you're like, you're not even working on the schedule. Like, this thing's garbage. You just put it together yeah. just to, because I asked you for one. So once you answer the questions honestly, and if you don't know the answer, more, more than likely other people on your team don't have the answer either. And so if you're new and you don't know, that's good. That's a good first conversation with the project manager or the superintendent or somebody on the site, an executive possibly. Ask those questions and then see what they say. Now, once you can determine if you're on schedule, behind schedule, or ahead of schedule, and almost no projects are, statistically, you have more than a 75% chance to be late at any given time on your construction project. So you're more than likely behind schedule if you don't know, especially if you don't know. Uh, once you do that, make the, the thing visible to the whole team. So if you're on the site, it doesn't matter if you're a project engineer or you're an intern. If you're listening to the show, Get from somebody, what's the priority thing that the team needs to finish this month? It's February 20th, so there's only 18 days left in this month. I would say, where should this team be in construction by the 28th of February? Put that up somewhere where people can see it. Socialize that thing. That alone will help you improve schedule and have the right conversations and help people prioritize. Because you've got to make decisions. Like, do I do this? 
which doesn't get me closer to that thing on the 28th that I need to have done mm-hmm. or not. Now, for the cost-wise, the thing that you should do for, for cost is get curious. Read the contract. It sounds so boring, and I'm glad that Kyle's in a coffee shop right now. Get your favorite coffee or your favorite tea or whatever you drink, as long as it doesn't put you to sleep. <laughs> there you go. And read your contract. And if you don't understand the terms of your contract, ask as many questions as you have to until you understand it. Because there's going to be things in that contract that you have to do, and there's going to be things that make no sense to do. And just be sure that you never do the don't make sense to do things. Spend your time on the valuable things and giving the client or what they want. It doesn't matter who the client is. You could be a subcontractor working for a general contractor. Most general contractor contracts reference the owner's contract but don't actually even provide it to the trades. Mm-hmm. And that's going to come in handy during the end of that job when you go into litigation or claims. So raise your hand, ask for a copy, read it, understand the terms, at least the basic, how much is it, what do they want, what are the things they're expecting us to do. Those are your first steps. And then after that, you can start learning about lean construction. Definitely follow me on YouTube. And uh, I need YouTube subscribers because I'm that kind of needy guy. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're on our way to the first 1,000. We've crossed wow. over 100,000 unique views in less than two years. But we're sub 800 subscribers as of the time that this show is live. So I know a lot of you are watching my show. And you just haven't tapped that subscribe button. You don't want to miss my videos. And I'm talking about these types of techniques to help the construction industry. I'm sharing these forever and always. So hit me up on social if you've got another starting place you want me to answer. I'll make a video about it and put it on my YouTube channel to help you out. That's awesome. I, I, I'm guilty. I don't think I've subscribed to you. I've seen a couple of your videos, but I haven't subscribed. Two more subscribers, people, I'm going to get right now. I know that Mondo hasn't subscribed either because I would get the notification. So. <laughs> I've, uh, you're, you're a little bit ahead of me. I just hit 32 subscribers on the Construction hey. Yeti YouTube. So There you go. Congratulations. And <laughs> I'm one of those 32. I saw that. I've I, uh, been posting a couple of the shorts because that's a quick way to get a lot of views real fast. So I, yeah. <laughs> but um, it's funny talking about the owner's contract between the general contractor being in the subcontractor's contract. I was on a project where I, I was on the subcontractor side and I said, hey, to the GC, I said, hey, let me have a copy of y'all's contract. You can't have that. That's, that's our contract. You can't have that. I said, okay, sounds good. Scratch it out of my contract that I'm tied to it. Yep. He's like, well, I can't do that either. I'm like, it's one of the two, buddy. It's one of the two. You can get a redacted one because sometimes general contractors get yeah. all like gun shy and like having you know what the total contract value is. And I'm going to tell you, like, all that evaporates in two seconds once you go into litigation. So, general contractors that don't understand that, talk to your counsel, talk to your lawyers, the subcontractors. If you're tying them to the contract, they have a right to see it. It's the right thing to do. Stop hiding stuff. Don't play games. I ended up getting a redacted copy after he got it from his attorneys or whatever. But I'm just thinking, like, I was one trade out of how many trades are on a project? Yeah, I think usually I was the only 16 one to, asked, to 60. Right. And I was, like, the only one who asked for it. I was like, this is silly. <laughs> uh, you got any other questions for him? Yeah, actually. So I, I, I was kind of curious about... Um, that's what getting the buy-in from some of those hard-headed GC superintendents that are That's always one of the struggles I have on my site sometimes. If they don't buy into lean, if they don't buy into methodology, we'll get them to really understand it and doing it in a really time-efficient manner to these projects just so quick. 
Yeah, that's a great question, Kyle. So getting superintendent buy-in, especially with skeptical superintendents or using Kyle's words, hard-headed superintendents, um, typically when we come to people, and it's no different myself, I've been a superintendent in my, in my past experience, so I've, I know what it's like to be in that role. But everybody that you come to, they had the job before you showed up. And sometimes we forget as like the person with the extra special training or the, the lean special sauce or the experience or the gray hairs or lack of hair in my case, um, you got to honor the people and what they're doing first. So I think I, I always spend like the beginning part of a new engagement with the team to ask people like, show me what you're doing. Cause I'm curious and I want to see the cool stuff you're doing. And I sprinkle on lots of encouragement, and enthusiasm, the stuff that they're doing this really well. And then I ask them like, how satisfied are you with how things are going? Like, typically I'm not there because everything's awesome, right? I'm typically <laughs> there because there's something that we can do to improve and make it a little bit easier. And so by honoring first the good stuff they're doing, it kind of lowers the barrier. It allows some common ground to be seen, build some trust, because you're only going to move as Stephen Covey already freaking trademarked at the speed of trust. So like the more trust you can build, the more experiments and games and fun you can have. When trust is low, you're at best going to get people that are just compliant or doing it because they have to, because like their boss said they have to. And that's not, that's not going to give you a really good implementation. Like I want people to engage because it's exciting to engage. I want people to have fun on construction. Like I have fun. Like before we even started the show, I was showing Matt and Kyle, all these sound effects I have on my phone. I'll even show up. I'll roll up on the, on the job, Kyle with a Bluetooth speaker and I'll blast sound <laughs> effects like right off of my waist where my speakers like clipped onto my belt just to, cause that's the kind of fun person I am. I like to have fun at work. And only one time did people complain that I had too many sound effects, which is not bad. One time in all these years. That's awesome though. So you talk about, you know, playing devil's advocate here. Cause I love to do that. You talk about all these big stats, right? You can 2x, 4x, 10x, 100x your productivity. If yep. somebody's sitting there listening to this as BS, like, you can't do that. Is there something you can point people to? I'll put in the show notes. Is there some sort of data, reports, proof, yeah. studies? I've that got uh, case studies uh, on the, the EBFC show website. Click on the blog, type in Construction Scrum. It's the first blog post. It has the case studies. It shows three different examples. Um, the second to last post, there's one virtual design and construction where they had a, a more than a two X improvement in schedule time for virtual design construction coordination with multiple trades on a job that's over $200 million in size. So the stats are there, uh, full transparency. Like we typically name names, we name names. And if you want to talk to the people directly for any of the case studies shared, I'm more than happy to make the introduction. So you can talk to the people one-on-one -on -one and you can hear in their own words, uh, what they say. The one in the case of the, the virtual design and construction, when I taught the scrum master, I taught a new scrum master who was a, his day job was a VDC manager uh, for a large general contractor. He said, Felipe, all this sounds really good, but I don't think this is going to work. And I said, you know, the, the place where it's going to be hard for you is actually getting the buy-in. Mm -hmm. And he agreed. He's like, that's going to be the challenge. So I said, you've got to show people how to get there and then give them the support to get there with you. And we, I said, like, even if you don't make it perfect, it's still going to be way better than the traditional way. And so I think on that job, they saved months off of the schedule 
months. So for all the people listening, just imagine like most coordination schedules go over time. They go way past what even a wild guess of what the time should have been. And on this one, they finished months ahead of schedule. And they even were able to handle a big design change during that same time period. So the stuff is possible. Uh, you can learn it in minutes and start applying it the same day. Some of the concepts I've mentioned just now, Matt, people can take the things that I said, try it right now, today, see what happens. I uh, I didn't realize there was chats. I was missing them. Uh, Jesse, put a shirt on and come join us. Mondo, you said you're gonna you got a special T-shirt. Call in, get you some camera time. Let's go. Yeah, oh no, look, he's he's inviting you to step up on the stage, Mondo. Let's see the shirt. Jesse's he's, always shirtless. So <laughs> I've, I've had a number of phone calls with him, and thank goodness he's always got a shirt on when I talk to him. He probably rips it off Hulk Hogan style as soon as we're off. But you got to go to his TikTok and see him paddling on the on the water. <laughs> Is there not a call in button, Mondo? I don't know. I've never called in. There should be a button. Well, you figured that one out. I have a question for you. Okay. So when it comes to project delivery, have you seen sure. uh, Scrum, Clean, Planner, Tact work better with certain delivery methods? I mean, integrated is probably the best one, of course, right? Yeah, integrated project delivery. Kyle, your spidey sense is spot on. Like an integrated team, your contract, you're incentivized. You're sharing risk and reward with all the partners. So... And that type of project delivery, it's a, it typically is a learning, like, experimental lab. And people are incentivized to, to bring innovation in and try these types of methods. There's a, several different owners, even outside of healthcare construction, that are using integrated project delivery. And we're seeing last planner as almost standard issue on all of those jobs. In design, we're starting to see a lot more scrum in design, though we, we also have it on construction as well. So that's happening more. Um, but even on, on hard bid jobs, we've got teams picking up last planner, like, uh, Mondo, if he could ever figure out how to call in, he's on a, on, he works for a company and they do a lot of hard bid work and they're using last planner system on, on their projects now because they have him, even though he can't, you know, click a button to call in, he can help people learn how to do last planner system, <laughs> which is pretty freaking funny. I, I do want to thank, uh. Mondo for subscribing to DBFC show finally after all this time. So thank you for that. And I know Jesse's already been subscribed since the, like day one, the early days, which I super appreciate. Yeah. I mean, you see it on those types of contract types for, for that reason that people are sharing risk and reward, but on the other types I've heard, I've heard this Kyle, people have said like, I would do lean if the owner bought in. And I, I put a video on LinkedIn two weeks ago talking about how that's just piff-poffery or in plain English <laughs> nonsense. Like, I would do lean. I don't care if the owner wants to do lean. It's Is it my company? Is it my project? Do I have responsibility? I'm doing it for me. And then and I'll share with the owner how the benef it benefits them and why it's good for them too. But I'm going to do lean no matter what. I didn't get respect for people and continuous improvement embroidered on my shirt because it just the white letters on this blue shirt look good. I did it because these are the values that I'm bringing in and out to everything I do. Absolutely, and I totally agree with that. I mean, from what I've seen lately, a lot of projects, even the ones that I've worked on, if they call them design, bid, bill, and design, bill, they usually end up being more integrated anyways. And that's just how the industry is going. And for the better, thankfully. 
Yeah, we just were on the, uh, I was on the Contact Crew podcast a couple weeks ago, and there was a report published by Design Build Institute of America, and they're talking about the rise of design build, and specifically progressive design build. Uh, Harvard is starting to get some real competition in the United States. So I'm really happy to see that. And then on the on the federal side, on the government contracts, we're seeing a lot more agile contracts. Uh, the U.S. Department of Labor has even put out uh, new contract requirements. They want construction teams to be agile, and the stuff that they're doing for you know defense Department of Defense type of contracts and other types of infrastructure contracts. So we're seeing a shift. People are recognizing the benefit. Sorry, Matt, you up? No, I'll keep going. I'm trying to break Mondo in. <laughs> yeah. Armando's giving me some nice uh, feedback here via text message that I'm not going to read out loud for everybody else. That's going to be special for me, Mondo, so thank you. If you want to talk smack, you know, you're going to have to click the, the link that uh, Matt sent you so you can come up on stage. I just sent it. So Techno- just said- I'm still trying to figure out the... Well, this is episode four or five. I'm still trying to figure out the technology. <laughs> That's how you do it. That's how you do it. It's one baby steps. So, Felipe, would you have any other um, any other tips or tricks for the younger generations as they as they get started, and maybe not so much specifically towards Scrum, but just just as you get started a few years with certain steps they should take, maybe certain experience they should go towards that would be most beneficial as they want to do things yeah so that's a great question kyle so if you're young into the industry or if you're even a transplant from another industry and you're newer to construction uh bring the questions ask ask more questions when you get work assignments spend the time to understand like why are you doing what it is a lot of times people go to work and they just get tasks to do and that doesn't bring in the full capability of what you are as a human being so i would say as you're getting assignments, take the time to ask the people giving you that work, you know, how is this work going to be used? How, do, how does my contribution fit in to the overall project success? And get, getting that information is going to definitely transform how you work and is going to put you on the path to learning and iterating and, uh, and being more effective and having more fun on the job because nobody wants to come in and just, like, turn a lever or do something. Oh, there we go. Now – now we got Mondo coming in with the cool shirt. Mondo 3.0 is back. There we go. <laughs> Love he's it, got, dude. Oh, look, he's, got, he's on brand, too, Matt. Yeah, I know uh, my audience. So, uh, yeah, Felipe, you don't want to share the La Bamba reference I just made? No, I had to entice you to click a link so it worked. <laughs> so you see, Kyle, like by understanding who I'm dealing with, I can bring him on the stage. It's like magic. That's the magic you of can, You can speak down to my It's fine. <laughs> no, that, that is one thing that um, so you deal with a lot of corporations, right, uh, Felipe? How do you get I to do. the end user? I mean, the guy that's uh, putting on his tool back or the, the person that has his uh, impact ranch or the, the hard worker, whoever that is, how do you get your message outside of the office to, to the boots on the ground? I go right to those people in crews. So typically when I walk a site, I've got the shiny white hard hat and people can spot me from 10,000 miles away and know that that guy doesn't get dirty every day. So <laughs> I usually have a handler, a handler walk with me, air quotes, superintendent or project manager. 
And I just tell them, like, hey, we walk the site. I want to be able to engage with people, you know, on the fly. Let's meet people. Let's talk to people as we're walking through, typically looking at schedule type of activities. And I'll just stop and just ask people. I'll just introduce myself and say, hey, my name is Felipe. I'm here doing this walk. I'm looking at this thing. And I'll ask them, like, what their first name is and talk to make the human connection and then share with people things that if there's something blatantly obvious, like if I see them working way too hard, like if they're going back and forth and doing a lot of travel to get tools or something, I'll just say, like, hey, who's in charge of where we set this up? Can we make this change? And typically, if the people I'm walk, walking with, if we're the general contractor, we can change the logistics of the site and make some rapid improvements in seconds for folks that have massive impact across the entire site. And that gets you a lot of uh, trust built when you can make improvements. The other thing I do, Mondo, is like I, I go and I learned this from Jason Schroeder. I actually check on the bathrooms on the site. I check porta potties. I open up doors. And this is like not super like well known, but people people working with me know that I do this. And this is I've been I trained I, again. I learned from Jason. I open up the porta potties. I'm looking like, what's the toilet paper level? When's the last time was it cleaned? Are there hand wash stations? And if there's not, that's the first thing I tell our teams. I say, like, you got one thing to do before the next time I come out here. Hand wash stations, toilet paper, and don't single ply these people. We're human beings out here. We can we can do two ply. Yeah, let's do without the hand paper, please. Exactly. See Mondo knows what I'm talking about. Oh, yeah. If you no, ever I mean, had to use a porta potty and you bring <laughs> yes. your own stuff, but uh, I mean inflation's real. That that stuff is uh, hard to come by and if you have to provide your own as you come to work. I mean, that's money out of your pocket. So I guess uh, the next question would be, and I'm, I'm, you know, I'm a questionator as well. Jesse has taught me well. Uh, sorry. But, uh, <laughs> that's why we asked you to come on the show because you had questions. <laughs> well, how, how did, so that's the exception, right? That is the micro level you talking to a job site. How do we make that the norm across the industry where it's, uh, you know, just not normal for restrooms to be, um, you know, disheveled and just a mess if that that is the norm how do we make that the exception or eradicate it all together yeah we've got to share the story so i work with a guy i'm going to shout shout out to steve yachts at the bolt company he's been uh superintendent most of his career and he doesn't even do porta bodies anymore he brings in the uh the country club wedding gas trailer like with the hand sinks and mirrors i was like man and mirrors too i was like oh Love me some Steve Yachts. So he knows what, and he's, and he's done that. It's been like seven or eight years. And so that goes with him to every project he goes to, but not everybody that has that type of innovation has a platform to share it until, dun, dun, dun. wait a minute, I got the sound effect. Social media. So if people, if you're listening to this podcast, you either got an email from Matt or you saw this on social media, share your innovations so that other people in the industry, at least people in your network can see what you're doing. We've got to get those stories out. So Mondo, I mean, I take full responsibility to talk about bathrooms and toilets every single time that I talk to Jason Schroeder so that we can share this because it's not well known. And I can't tell you how many times I've gone to porta potties on construction sites and they would be classified as not fit for humans. And so that's not because the people that use them make them that way. It's because of how the controlling contractor has it set up or not set up correctly mm -hmm. and creates this subhuman environment. So we need to share that story 
in a respectful way to let people know. And the bathrooms are just one thing. There's so many more things like parking. Don't get me started on trade contractor parking. I can talk about parking for like seven podcast episodes in a row. And and they're all laughing. They're all laughing because they know that parking on job sites is troublesome. Yes, right. (laughs) Man, I did a couple jobs in downtown Austin, and there's no parking in downtown Austin, right? And it's street parking. And then so, of course, you know, all the trades would get there at 6 a.m. or whatever. And then so there was no parking because Austin's booming. There's no parking for anybody that's not a construction worker, essentially. And then so the city came out and said, okay, no more. You can only park in one spot on the street for more than like three hours. So every three hours, be a mass exodus from the job site. You see everybody go downstairs, play musical cars, find another spot, park, and come back. It was crazy. It's a bureaucracy for you, but so that that is not making it easier on the uh, the workers that are providing the most value. And Kyle, um, listening and doing some research, you're you're talking about it, and it's obvious that both you, Matt, and Kyle are uh, passionate about uh, those who are struggling right now and how to mm-hmm. get this message to those. Um, yeah, I mean, that, that if you're not thinking logistically or, or coming up with a plan or investing uh, like those restrooms, I mean, that's going to cost money, right? That's going to cost money out of the budget, but I guarantee you the pro- productivity and the quality is just going to skyrocket because you're showing that you care and you know that that person that's behind the tools or sweeping the broom as a human being, um, renting out a lot, maybe in downtown Austin, and I've worked in downtown Austin. I get it. it it's horrible conditions as far as parking. But you're, you're talking about loss of productivity every time somebody has to go and, and repark their car because of, mm-hmm. you know, stupidity. What, you know, I'll just, I'll just say what it is. It's stupid. Let's call it what it is. Removing the stupidity and, and making it easier for the, the people bringing the most value and then getting the message out to them. I think one thing that I'm going to do other than the restrooms and the parking is I don't want to pat myself too uh, hard on the back, but uh, we made those things a priority on our recent project and we were able to have success there. But, um, you know, getting the message out, maybe I just need to uh, just talk about social media, talk about LinkedIn more and just get people that are on the job site, they get dirty and they, they have their tools and get them online because the amount of resources and the amount of knowledge online is, is just amazing. Um, and, you know, I'm able to, to listen to people like yourself, and I learned so much. And I used to push a broom. And if it wasn't for somebody taking the time out and uh, showing me the ropes and, and how to climb up that ladder, um, we, we have to do it for others as well. We want to do it for others, and this is part of it. But I'm passionate about the person behind the broom and the person – that has to pay out of their own parking, uh, their own pocket for parking. So, uh, just getting that message out there and showing them that there is an easier way. Um, you know, I'm all for it. I agree with like spreading the word like that. Cause I mean, I've seen those trailers, those bathroom trailers on, like you said, country clubs and weddings for a decade. Right. And I've, it literally never even crossed my mind to put them on a job site. Like why do that? Like it's such a simple solution. Like I was on a project once before and the bathroom situation, the port pot situation was so bad. There was a Home Depot across the street. So if you had to go to the bathroom, you drove across the street to the Home Depot. And, like, all the trade guys would go do it. And, like, no one was arguing with them because it was such a bad situation, right? But if, you know, whatever the productivity loss was, could have bought 50, you know, bathroom trailers. Absolutely. Sometimes people don't want to listen. And Felipe <laughs> used that word trust. That's such a big one. I mean, if you want to get the trust, let's show that we respect and we care about them. They're the ones doing the work. We should, we should be 
doing whatever we can to help them. It's fine. Yeah, my rule of thumb, Kyle, for the for the tradespeople, I never, and I tell this to like the people that you know, general contractor side. Mostly, that's where I've worked most of my career on general contractor side. Let's never ask the trade people to do something extra until we give them something first. You got to give to get, and like they're they're coming, showing up every day. That's worth something. That's priceless. Like the people that build this country, you know, without complaint, come to work every single day, work in extreme conditions out in all kinds of elements. I mean, I've frozen my tail off on a, on a solar field before we were on the side of a mountain. And I was just like, you people work in this every single day. My God, let me get coffee for everybody here. <laughs> you know, what can I do? Cause I was frozen to the core, like my little California warm blood. Like it did not, I've adjusted. Like I grew up in Chicago, but now I get cold at just the hint of like temperatures dropping. Like Kyle, I feel for you right now. You're just so close to the windows. I know you can feel the cold, but well, <laughs> do for the trades first. Yeah. Like, that's the first easy step. Well, I've, uh, I've got a previous engagement that I'm going to uh, run off to, but I, I am going to, um, to post something. I'm going to tag each of y'all today. And it's about Jeff Walker. And, and, uh, I would just encourage those office dwellers or, or sometimes we call them carpet dwellers when they go out to the field, um, Maybe they can ask themselves if they've ever dug a ditch. And if they haven't, maybe take a step back and, and you know, do what uh, Felipe did, empathize, sympathize with them, and uh, just recognize the fact that there are humans and not somebody just to, to walk past on the job site as if um, you're better than they are. So it was a pleasure. Uh, thanks for roasting me while I couldn't click onto the link, but uh, we'll be in touch next time. Appreciate it. That's okay, good to, it. It's good to finally meet you, Armando. All right, same here. Talk to you all later. Hey, man. The Yeti. I definitely, <laughs> I don't care what happened in the background, Matt and Kyle. I 100% blame Mondo for not being able to call in earlier. <laughs> and I do that with love. <laughs> it wasn't on his board set up the right way. He couldn't get it over to the doing. He was stuck on the to-do. That's right. He was still working that simple to-do list that was glorified. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. And we're running up on an hour here. Uh, I think we've probably got all your all your places to find you. Um, I'll, I'll put them all in the show notes. I think you've, you've plugged them, uh, commercial throughout the whole episode. So you're very well at that. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you, man. Yeah. For, for people listening, if I didn't say it one more time, I'm going to say it more. I'll take this opportunity, the website to get after this book and it's available on audio and audible and iTunes, Apple books, construction scrum.com, just like it's spelled. And there you can find links to contact me, and even leave me a voicemail message or an email at worst. Uh, so check it out. That's the place to get get a hold of me on LinkedIn is my most favorite place. And today, thank you everybody for wishing me a happy birthday today. It's been incredible. Like I'm feeling the love, people. I'm feeling the love. <laughs> it'll be you know it'll be a couple weeks past your birthday when this actually goes live. But it'll be if everybody's listening to this, go follow his YouTube. That'll be a, a belated birthday present yes. you can give him. So that's a priceless gift. Like, man, it's telling truth. If you subscribe on YouTube, you will it have helps. love for me. It's a, it's a healthy algorithm. It spreads your message, and it's something I, I had no clue or really even made that much more sense until I started learning more about it. And so, yeah. So, Felipe, I appreciate your time, man. Any parting shots, Kyle? Yeah, you going to so sing much. for him? Um, I would, but I'm at Starbucks. Go get the baristas to gather around and sing happy birthday. Go get them. <laughs> Thank you, Thanks, Kyle. everyone.
Thanks, thanks, thanks man. Guys. Thanks, Kyle.